what customer was eating five years ago is completely different now. So you've got to stay sharp on that market front. Because food waste really starts at the farm and then it finishes at the end of a scraped plate. This is the Food and Beverage Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Hey everyone, welcome to the MarketScale Food and Beverage Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So today we're exploring an initially unintended phenomenon in food and beverage retail uh, that is now evolving with consumer and market demands in a particularly unique way. And that thing is micro-markets. So in the same vein as vending machines, micro-markets are reaching shoppers on the go with diverse drink, snack, and meal selections. And what's really elevating this space is the flexible market demands that are pushing the stocked products. To keep up with that need for convenience and flexibility, though, micro-markets need powerful brains behind the operations as well. So I'm excited to dig into the internal and external trends around micro-markets, and to do that, we're going to be sitting down with Christopher Blomquist, Director of Marketing for Par Level Systems, as well as Dustin C2, Director of Product Marketing for Premio. Christopher, Dustin, welcome. Great to have you both on. How you doing? Great. Good to be here. I'm excited to be on uh, the podcast again with you, Daniel. Yeah, always a good time chatting, Dustin. We get to explore a lot of great IoT solutions from a bunch of different markets. And this time we're going to dig into food and beverage, one that we haven't touched on yet. So should be fun. Yeah, no, I think that's a good uh, a segue into uh, food and beverage specifically, uh, because with IoT, there continuously, continuously has to be a digital transformation for uh, much of the computing technology. So some of the verticals where we're experiencing a lot of this technology shift is moving into uh, what you kind of educated us in the beginning on, which is micro market specifically, but mostly kind of diving into uh, smart kiosks or self-service kiosks. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I, I think the best place to start um, is, Chris, to have you give us an elevator pitch summary of the journey that got the traditional vending market to where we're at today with micro markets, kind of cataloging um, some of the technology, some of the market decisions, the industry changes that got us to where we're at today. Um, and if you could, as you explain that journey, uh, could you highlight some of the key challenges around vending solutions in general and how solving those solutions have kind of led us to where we're at today with micro markets? Yeah, absolutely. So micro markets pretty much stemmed from market forces meeting advances in technology. So um, Micromarkets really came about because people wanted convenience, but they wanted to marry convenience with choice and with healthier options. Vending machines uh, are still incredibly relevant in the industry, but they are somewhat limited in terms of what they can offer, right? You only have a certain amount of spirals that you can put food into, and you're limited in terms of what you can actually put in those spirals. So a lot of vending machines have you know, chips, sodas, and things like that. Micromarkets came from being able to offer more diverse options and healthier options. Um, consumers in America are more and more geared toward eating healthy, uh, having diversified choices and having a better break from experience, um, which are all things that a micro market can provide. So since 2012, micro markets out in the field, there were 2,600 micro markets active. In 2018, we have over 25,000 reported micromarkets out in the field. So the amount of growth uh, in regards to the micromarket industry has really been incredible. 
you know, working with Parlevel specifically, uh, Primo and many people on our team really got to learn more about what micro markets were. I mean, I mean, traditionally, everyone's kind of really understood what, what vending was, and it was just a very analog type of thing. And where I think the technology is starting to really have an inflection point with a specific type of vertical is that it's continuously being able to, to leverage a lot of new technology to offer the customer a better shopping experience. So, so micro markets specifically, I think to me are very interesting because um, if you were to see the actual environment that they're placed in, they're usually placed in a lot of like office corporate levels, uh, car dealerships. Um, those are just to name a few, but it's kind of removing the element of security and putting the trust into your consumer to really make their own decision um, based on whatever product they want to choose, right? You have a payment system that can really, you know, do the calculation on what they're wanting to buy, but you're giving them the full flexibility on the inventory of uh, food and beverage options, you know, as an example. So I think um, like to what, what Chris was saying, you know, a lot of that information in that growing market continues to, to, to explode. Um, one of the main reasons is because of how technology is helping driving that growth. So micromarkets are different in vending in that it's a totally uh, open product concept. So you have a few components for a micromarket. You have self-checkout kiosk, uh, where people actually take product and check out through. Uh, and this product is actually stored in a combination of fridges, freezers, and snack racks uh, near the checkout kiosk. So you can actually just grab a product, take it out of the kiosk, uh, scan, pay, and go. So the flexibility of providing products that uh, you cannot in vending is huge in micro markets. You can put things like salads, fresh food, sandwiches, uh, and things like that, that that consumers really, really want uh, in a convenient solution. Yeah. And to add to that point, um, Chris, I think for me specifically and kind of seeing Parallel's growth, um, I think where their value is, is in the innovation on the combination of both a software layer and a hardware layer. Um, what they're able to do in those type of environments and provide the, the data whether that be through the shopping experience or through the checkout experience, all the way to uh, the backend business analytics, I think are, are, are really driving the whole market, a micro market industry. So uh, I just want to say well done, Chris. I think you and Parlevel's team are, are fantastic in the innovation and technology behind the, the product. Well, we appreciate it. It's uh, come from a lot of feedback and a lot of blood, sweat and tears in order to provide a, a product that kind of combines all three of those, those solutions. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. Chris, if you don't mind, could you break down how par level specifically fits into this dynamic in the vending market? Uh, you know, what is your business model and how does it reflect the needs of uh, the industry, specifically around micro markets today? Absolutely. So par level started in 2013 with four guys and an idea. Uh, that idea was centered around traditional vending, which is, okay, I have this vending machine out in the field. How do I know what's going on with it when I'm not there? Right, and how much inventory is left, uh, how much cash is there for me to collect. So we actually came up with a device to connect these machines to the internet so operators can see what's going on with those machines without physically needing to be there. So you can imagine the benefits that would have for simply one machine, um, but when you get to operators who have you know tens of thousands of machines, something like that is truly invaluable. Um, we got into micromarkets a few years ago because we saw how many of our operators were getting into the into the segment um, and truly unsatisfied with the technology that was around it. So we actually decided to create our own micromarket kiosk. So we provide both hardware and software solutions for operators to run a micromarket out in the field. Um, so to provide the ability for 
people to grab what they want, scan it, check out and go, but also to provide a backend behind that system. So to see real-time sales, uh, to see how much money there is to collect, to see you know what sells well and what doesn't, to run custom promotions, uh, to provide a full backend solution to not only place these markets, but maximize the profit from the markets as well. You know, I feel like the the growth of par level and the growth of micro markets in general are telling of a larger embrace of technology and a new approach to shopping that consumers are engaging with, not just in food and beverage, but in retail and hospitality and entertainment as well. And that's the, the kind of larger embrace of self-service kiosks, the AI behind them, the aesthetics, the presentation, and the full-scale integrations I think are finally at that point where uh, they're actually increasing consumer spending and consumers are going out of their way to enjoy those experiences. They're not an added bonus. They're kind of a driver of sales. So are micro markets benefiting from this larger embrace of self-service kiosks? And do you see it happening uh, in that same way that I just described? Absolutely. I mean, I think they're driving the force and they're directly benefiting it, uh, from it as well. Please keep in mind, we see micro markets as part of a movement towards self-service. Um, so where vending led to micromarkets, we see micromarkets leading to more uh, self-service checkout as a whole. Um, a good example of this would be in a campus environment, right? So on a campus, you have uh, the coffee shop in the library that you know will sell you a cup of coffee. You have the meal hall. You have vending machines placed around, around the campus. And you have uh, micromarkets, potentially. So our goal is to essentially connect all of these uh, different areas where you can get food and beverage uh, to one self-checkout kiosk. So we see in the future kiosks all around these campus-type environments uh, in an effort to get food and beverage, but even beyond that. Imagine it in an office park where you can order yoga for interested coworkers, right? You can get a yoga instructor to come conduct a class in your environment or you can do dry cleaning, or you can schedule a car wash. We really see a uh, micro market as one small step toward the evolution of self-service as a whole. Yeah, and um, the connectivity layer of that is really unable to happen without even having the tech technology background behind that. Um, so as you have um, these devices or sensors or kiosks, so to speak, being starting to be connected, What's the value of now these things being connected? That means you have the remote action that can make real-time decisions based on your consumer. Um, in addition to that is once all these devices or these kiosks are connected in a large scalable um, application or deployment, you now have valuable business data or valuable insights that you can leverage to make better decisions for your business as a whole. I mean, imagine providing in, in uh, analytics on your, your customer base saying between, you know, breakfast time, people are more inclined to eat a bacon sandwich versus a sausage, a sausage breakfast sandwich. I mean, those type of those type of data, the value of that data to a lot of businesses are, are goldmine because by having those preventative insights, you can really, really, really help drive better business decisions and make better uh, long-term uh, decisions to help your, your your overall business grow as a whole. Absolutely. And that's that's something that Parlevel provides as well is we provide sales numbers. We show you very visually what products are selling well and which are not, not only in each micromarket location, but across the account as well. So you can see, hey, I have 20 micromarkets. This is these are my top 10 performing products. Let me make sure that when I start a market, it's going to have these 10. 
Um, then as we go on and get more data, you know, we'll see if these are working in this particular environment or not. But with that data, you're able to satisfy a market. Um, we have a lot of locations that request healthy uh, and then end up eating not so healthy, right? Um, everyone, sometimes people like the idea of it better than the application. But with data, you're able to see, hey, you know, I tried to stock healthy. Here's what the sales numbers are. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch this out for something else. Uh, I think not only will you know it help us as an operator, but your uh, employees are gonna enjoy it a lot more as well. Um, so yeah, to, to Chris's point, I think where the analytics are, are really driving the market and kind of where the expectation is coming from is really from the consumer because they're taking a lot of where um, their experiences are in an online shopping platform, for example, Amazon or any type of e-commerce platform. And they're really trying to move that into a brick and mortar environment, right? So an example, when you're in an online uh, platform, you really have an, uh, an ease of payment, something that's easily manageable, and it gets shipped to you almost in real time with, you know, one day, two day delivery. I think that's the same element that people are experiencing in a brick and mortar type of store is that if they can go into a kiosk and if they don't have to have, you know, any payment options, but they can quickly select what they want and get that delivered to them immediately. I think that's a huge, huge benefit to their whole entire shopping experience. And, you know, I'm glad you're bringing up the end user as a pivotal part of the success and growth of micro markets, because I really think micro markets today or the perfect example of industry adapting to the desires of end users in a really quick way, uh, in a way that almost feels like it's happening at the same time uh, as those um, those consumer wants and needs change. So, for example, consumers are way more health conscious. And even in their fast food, they want things like prepackaged sandwiches, they want kombucha, they want their fruits and veggies, they want robust and particularly fresh options. And micro markets offer that. Uh, there's something that, you know, your traditional vending machine doesn't really offer. Micro markets adapt to that need. They evolve that uh, kind of quick retail aspect of food and beverage. Um, and the technology is really necessary and is finally at a point where it can support fresher food and this kind of flexible approach to uh, food and beverage retail. So are you seeing the market demands and the technology uh, converge? And if so, what kind of effect is it having on micro market deployments? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things um, people think about with micro markets and providing fresh foods is spoilage, right? So, right. okay, how long is a fresh salad going to last compared to a bag of chips? So we're able to actually say, here's what your historical sales data has been. This is what we recommend for you to stock in order to minimize spoilage. Uh, another thing that we can provide um, is doing custom sales, right? So if you're stocking market every Monday uh, with salads to last through Friday, we recommend our operators to put a 25% off sale on that Friday, right? If you have unsold salads, get them out of there. You don't want to throw them away. Um, so essentially what that does, that flexibility and the ability to provide more fresh, healthy options uh, without the risk of spoilage is everyone benefits and everyone wins. The consumer is able to have a convenient product that they actually enjoy, something that's actually good for them. And the operator can uh, sell a higher margin item as well, right? They don't have to sell a $1.25 bag of chips for a 25% profit on it. You know, um, they can actually sell a six, seven, $8 sandwich, depending on their environment and make a lot more as a whole. So yeah, absolutely. The ability for technology to uh, help operators stock product that sells um, absolutely is a win-win for, for both the person providing the product and for the end user as well. 
What about the uh, the IoT technology specifically? I know in general, uh, IoT and these kinds of uh, products help improve the efficiency and delivery of the installations, both in the long term and the short term. Is there anything specific about IoT deployments in micro markets that is doing just that? Uh, you know, leaning into some of the the great proactive decision making that can come from robust IoT. With IoT, it helps us to transmit this data in real time so an operator knows exactly how much product to take to a location uh, and that location is getting exactly what it needs um, in terms of being able to buy food that they actually want. We actually have an application on uh, the phone that the end user can fire up. Instead of walking over to the micro market and checking out the fridge or or uh, snack shelving, they can actually just fire up an app on their phone and see what inventory is there in real time. So, you know, if their favorite drink or favorite food isn't in stock, they don't have to walk over there and you know, be disappointed and waste a trip. They can actually get on their phone, see what's going on with the market uh, and go buy their favorite food or beverage without without the need to get up, really. Yeah. And kind of to echo that point um, from a hardware perspective, um, you know, it's I really believe it's a combination of a marrying of both a software layer, but also having the key fundamental hardware backbones of IoT technology. So if you take a step back and you really understand what the IoT framework is, it's basically you know thousands and thousands of devices that traditionally were not connected, but now have a pulse or kind of a heart rate that's co constantly pinging data that can be used for actionable decisions, like Chris was mentioning in terms of inventory. Uh, maybe you want to supply more salads versus chips. I mean, those type of decisions are huge. Um, but from a hardware perspective, for, for them to, par level, for them to even do this in real time, there's something that's really happening on a hardware architecture standpoint. Uh, so one of the things that's one of the, the key pillars of kind of IoT is the wireless connectivity. For example, in some type of environments where there's Wi-Fi available, you can leverage the Wi-Fi connectivity to push your data in and out to a hub or IoT gateway, where the gateway will do some of the number crunching. But the next layer to it is that where do you want to move that data um, to, to do a little bit more of the analytics? Um, traditionally in IoT, uh, we already know that most of the analytics are usually not done um, at the edge level or on the local level, where the robust types of uh, algorithms and, uh, and the calculations for machine learning and AI really need to happen at the cloud. So without having that connectivity, um, you know, wireless connectivity, it's unable to do that. Oh, another thing that I wanted to kind of really tap into specifically is that, you know, 5G and LTE coverage, that element and the, the telecom uh, infrastructure of being able to support all these different devices is going to be explosive in the industry, regardless of technology and uh, multiple, multiple verticals. Um, I was just driving into the office today and I saw a billboard from T-Mobile today and they were mentioning, oh, we're, we're at 5G already. So what that is telling me is that all these big key, uh, you know, telecom players like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, while they're basically laying the foundation for 5G, uh, that element of the connectivity, the wireless connectivity can happen in uh, in a mobile or remote deployment. You have to understand in the, a lot of these self-service kiosk environments, they're being deployed in areas that are extremely rugged or places where you cannot send the technician to service the, the device um, within a certain amount of time. So you need to ensure that you're having the connectivity at all times and being able to leverage the different networks in place to do that. 
but also have the bandwidth speeds uh, to communicate that data back and forth is going to be extremely pivotal. Yeah, the technology from Premio is incredibly helpful when it comes to deploying our markets as well. For our clients, being able to essentially have a plug-and-play solution with our micromarket is key. They don't want to be at the location, you know, setting up the internet for the uh, for the kiosk to communicate for two hours. You know, they have another location they need to get to. So Premio has been incredibly helpful with uh, providing us options via Ethernet, via Wi-Fi, or even connecting the device to a hotspot uh, in order for there to be maximum flexibility because of those three options, you know, different uh, locations uh, have different needs. So having that flexibility in terms of our kiosk is hugely beneficial to the location in our operators as well. I feel like when you're dealing with fresher foods and you're dealing with some of the more technical challenges of running and operating a micro market, the maintenance and service updates are considerably more important. And that's really where I think IoT can shine. Would you agree there? Is that one of the, you know, the, the biggest reasons why you want an integrated backend system that you can monitor and use for maintenance and, you know, refreshes of the system, system reboots, uh, as well as, uh, you know, updates for when you need to send technicians out there, all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. And this uh, might go against kind of common sense, but uh, micro markets are actually much less likely to fail than vending simply because there aren't as many moving parts. Uh, with vending machines, you have different spirals, coils, you have a coin mech, a bill validator, you have a lot of moving parts. So just by design, those devices are more prone to failure and you have to have highly specialized technicians that know how to work on tons of different types of machines. With micromarkets, it's essentially a computer, a uh, touchscreen, and then a kiosk housing. So there's much fewer moving parts. Um, if there are any issues or troubleshooting required, it's as simple as plugging in a keyboard and doing more of an IT uh, check on it. Um, reliability and uptime is the biggest thing for our customers. Uh, when they place these micromarkets, if it goes down for an hour and that hour you know, happens to be during lunchtime or, or very busy hours, they can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars just in a day. Um, so providing uptime is huge and it's key. Something that's great about our kiosks, we're actually able to remote in with our support team. So if something does go wrong, we're able to remote from our offices in San Antonio, do a reboot, do a hardware check, see what's going on with it and provide a quick fix, which again, you know, nobody misses out on having lunch and, and our operators don't miss out on, on getting the, that cash in their pocket. That element of remoting into a device is extremely critical from an IoT standpoint. Being able to recognize if there's an issue, being able to recognize the health of the device, being able to reboot the device if it happens to freeze is, is going to really keep the reliability and uptime and kind of speak to the reliability of, of the product or from a compute standpoint is that's kind of the core principles that we built into most of our products. Um, reliability is, is, a, is a hot topic in terms of industrial computing, but in order to deliver reliability, there's a lot of key principles that are involved, right? right? So in terms of a fanless design, traditionally, if you have to cool uh, electronics with a with an actual active fan, that actually has moving parts. And like Chris was mentioning, has more of a way for the system to have uh, major issues in terms of shutting down. Um, what that also allows in terms of a fanless and cableless design, it's a single piece compute hardware that allows us to test and validate the system in a wide operating temperature. So in most of our kiosks, I have some customers that deploy kiosks in very cold environments. So, you know, some of our boxes and computers are extremely rugged and they can go down in terms of operating temperature uh, from negative 40 
C all the way to even 70 C on the high end. Chris and Dustin, could y'all break down par levels, micro market max 2.0 and how some of those specific tech decisions, IOT decisions, deployment and market decisions reflect the tech and the trends that we've just been talking about for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our max 2.0 kiosk really is our flagship kiosk. It's built to withstand uh, tens of thousands of, tra- of transactions. The different components that are inside of it is it's in an acrylic shell. So uh, we decided to go with acrylic, not metal. Uh, the acrylic doesn't really rust or warp, and it's a little easier to, to move around. Um, we also have a 21-inch touchscreen that's inset inside of that acrylic kiosk. It's big. It has a lot of real estate, and it has actual product images inside of it. So it's incredibly uh, easy for our users to navigate. There's actually a front-facing security camera. So when you think about unattended food and beverage, you know, with the vending machine, uh, those products are behind lock and key. With a micromarket, you have a fridge, you have shelving, and the security aspect of it is key because if somebody wanted to, there's actually nothing stopping them from grabbing a product and walking away. So there are ways to combat this, uh, which includes heavy security in terms of cameras on, on our end. So there's actually one that's built in to the kiosk uh, that does a live feed on the touch screen so people know that they are being recorded, um, which helps with the security aspects of it. Uh, we also have a barcode scanner placed inside of this kiosk, so it's really easy for you to simply grab something, scan, pay, and go. Regarding payment, we actually have quite a few payment options. One is a bill validator if somebody wants to carry cash. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, so I never have cash in my pocket. Um, so the, the credit card we have on the other side is huge for me. Uh, And then right above that, we actually have a fingerprint scanner, which logs people into their wallet. So we have stored value wallets on our kiosk where essentially folks can load money, uh, log in and pay. Those wallets are nice because, again, you can log in just with a fingerprint, uh, a badge or an RFID can uh, kind of put yourself on an allowance. I give myself about $10 a week here at the office and I set that up to auto reload. So I pretty much always have $10 a week here at the office to spend. Um, you can always, you know, track your history as well to see what you've been purchasing, to see where your money's going and and to come up with the health plan if that's something that you're into as well. But the thing is, all these peripherals, all these hardware pieces really combine to give our customers the best experience possible. So we make sure we have a kiosk that's reliable, uh, that's resilient, something that's highly secure, and then has as many methods of payment as possible. Yeah. And thank you, Chris, for kind of explaining the the exterior of uh, the Max 2.0. Um, I've personally gotten to see the Max 2.0 uh, myself, and it's a, an extremely sleek product, and it offers you know, multiple, multiple interfaces of technology. And specifically, that technology, what it's driving in terms of a data transmission is really through um, USB, the high-speed USB ports. Chris, from what I remembered, he named out like five different types of technology that are integrated. In general, for that to even be like deployed in a kiosk, uh, traditionally, one of the major challenges that a lot of kiosk uh, vendors will utilize is that they'll think that they can use a you know standard consumer box to drive all of this technology. But if reliability is a key for you, um, you're going to miss that miss that mark because most of the consumer options out there don't even offer that many USB. So one of the major challenges that we were able to help Parlevel achieve was we were able to remove a, a USB hub that they were traditionally using to drive all these different type of uh, USB sensor devices. Um, so in our in our fanless mini PC, uh, we were able to put up to eight USB devices to drive you know all that technology 
in a reliable environment that still meets you know wide operating temperature wide voltages and into in terms of uh, a shock and vibration element you know premio's uh, ability to offer us all of those usb drives built into the C, uh, the pc itself is is huge um we did think that a consumer grade pc would be good enough for us but it was really the commercial grade uh, PC that Premium provides that allowed us to maximize our uptime and to increase the quality of components that we put inside of our kiosk. So uh, their ability to offer us a custom-made solution for, for the application of this kiosk has been huge in terms of what we can offer our operators, their end users in terms of uh, reliability, flexibility, and, and performance. And really to kind of help paint the picture of what that box is. So it's a little bit bigger than an iPhone and smaller than, say, an iPad. And you can kind of imagine uh, that little box with the compute power and being able to support eight USB and even offering wi uh, wireless connectivity, giving uh, the operators or technicians a way to remote in running 24 seven in a continuous uh, micro market environment um, is a huge, huge, huge benefit, I think, for, for par level from an industrial computing standpoint. Yeah, it's nice, too, because, you know, it's it allows our kiosk to be lightweight. It allows it to be flexible. It also allows us to provide something, a solution that's ADA compliant. Since these are unlimited food and beverage um, areas, they do need to be ADA compliant in terms of, you know, if somebody is handicapped, they can still use the kiosk. So the ability to have a custom built component like that for us, that's small and lightweight and has a lot of flexibility, allows us to, to make sure our product can be used by everybody. Yeah, and I, I think um, Parlevel, or Chris mentioned it in, you know, earlier on of how many of these devices are, have been deployed, but I think the Max 2.0 in combination with uh, Premium's Fanless Mini PC really allows the scalability for this type of application. Imagine the value you have on you know, 10,000, 20,000 of these devices deployed, and at any given time, you can run an algorithm or a code to see specifically what the data is uh, coming from each of those devices whether that be, you know, the type of payment people are utilizing. Maybe you can forecast that, you know, in the next year in the whole whole East Coast region, uh, say, for example, people are more preferred to be using, you know, credit card or NFC versus cash, right? Those type of information decisions uh, really can uh, drive a lot of the business operations. Even in the same city, blue collar versus white collar, is it at uh, a university, you know, is it at a manufacturing plant? Um, things can get really, really micro when it comes to the data. Um, so it's essential to be able to, to parse that information and, and parse it quickly. All right. Well, Chris, Dustin, I feel like we've really gotten a full deep dive here on the micro markets market and um, the impact that a you know responsive and proactive and flexible solution in the uh, retail side of food and beverage, you know, the impact that that is going to have moving forward. And Chris, like you said, how this is going to lead to complete self-service and really uh, enhancing the frictionless automated vision of, of a self-service food and beverage world, everything from grocery to restaurants uh, and everything in between. So to kind of leave on a, a crystal ball futurist kind of topic here. You know, another trend I think we're seeing is a lot of retailers in the last few years have tried to go cashless to kind of embrace this future of self-service. Often e-commerce, uh, often the idea of being efficient and frictionless in payment involves getting rid of cash, getting rid of coins, legal tender, 
and leaning into debit cards, credit cards, paying with your phone, with apps, etc. That backfired a little bit for brick and mortar stores. There were a lot of cities that responded by saying, you know, we cannot have you go cashless, it's discriminatory, and we're actually seeing things like Amazon Paycode and Amazon Cash embrace bringing cash into the e-commerce sphere. So we're kind of seeing a divergence here in that cash is uh, holding on as a major player in retail, but we're also seeing a push for self-service, a push for automation that's kind of pushing us away from, I I think, wanting to have to carry around and use cash because I think it kind of ruins the frictionless experience that we're talking about here. So in y'all's view, do you think there is a benefit in shifting over to that cashless society, that complete digital economy? Do you think it's realistic? Uh, you know, Do you think micro markets are encouraging a shift in either direction in any tangible way? Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing to focus on is flexibility. Um, the ability to provide your end users with a method of payment that they're comfortable with. Because if you do remove cash completely from a micro market, for example, you will miss out on sales. Uh, The bulk of our transactions at our markets are cashless. But if you remove that completely, uh, people will feel left behind. So instead of focusing on, let's push toward this, it's going to be all digital 100%. I don't want to deal with counting cash. Cashless is the way to go. You should really think, what are my consumers comfortable using? Is cash still a big part of of this market? If so, keep offering it. Um, So in my mind, it's not about the next best thing or uh, forcing something to be 100% cashless. It's about providing options for your customers because at the end of the day, they will want to pay the way that they want to, whether it's with your product or not. I kind of look at it a little bit differently. And the reason why I look at it differently because I come from more of a technical background and a technical fundamental uh, knowledge of where it needs to be if we go to a cashless society. society. Um, I definitely agree that the flexibility is pivotal and it's it's very important to offer that convenience for the customer to be able to choose what type of payment options they really want. But for me, um, in theory, I truly believe that uh, we eventually and I currently are moving towards a, a cashless society and I really do believe it's doable. But on the back end and the flip side of that is really on the layer of security and fundamental uh, privacy issues. What a lot of people don't know is that when a lot of these digital transactions are being are happening, uh, from whether or not using cash, there's a huge, huge, huge security risk at play here, right? So currently, it's a lot of account information. You know, it's, you know it could be banking information, but all those uh, identity issues are something that continues to be a big issue here in the United States from a privacy concern. Um, for example, right? Um, if you look at the world in a global, a globalization standpoint, or from a global uh, arena, China is already in an element where everything is mostly cashless. From anything that you, anything that you want to purchase, buy can be done through your phone. Whether it be food delivery, it could be name you name it. Literally, everything can be done without cash. But what is the flip side of that? Is that in that type of uh, environment or in that type of government, you lose uh, your ability for privacy, right? So all that data from a government standpoint is looking at it as things that they're able to basically map out who you are as a consumer and eventually, you know, put your identity and your privacy into something that can be sold. So that, that's how I look at it. I mean, it's interesting to see where it's going to go. But um, in theory, I do believe it it, it, it it could work. All right, Chris, Dustin, thanks for leaning in there a little bit with those futurist hot takes. Always good to 
crystal ball a little bit here on a Market Scale podcast. So again, we've been chatting with Christopher Blomquist, Director of Marketing for Par Level Systems, and Dustin C2, Director of Product Marketing with Premio. Uh, Chris and Dustin, if people want to learn a little bit more about micro markets or about some of the solutions that you're offering in that industry, uh, where can they go? What should they look for? Yeah, parlevelsystems.com is a great place uh, to see all of our solutions, uh, as well as our micro markets and our micro market max uh, 2.0 product as well. We have tons of videos on uh, locations, operators that are benefiting from using the micro market. Uh, if you're listening to this and think that the uh, micro market is something that you want in your office, please reach out to us. It is actually totally free for a location uh, to get this up and running in your office. All you have to do is pay for the food. So we're excited to see these uh, keep popping up all over the country, all around the world. And um, we're excited to be part of uh, the growth of building better break rooms uh, around the world. Yeah, and on the Primo end, uh, if you're interested in any type of industrial computing, IoT, edge computing that's on the back end layer, that's on the hardware side, that's driving a lot of these type of applications, uh, you can find Premio online at premioinc.com. Uh, we also have uh, a blog to where we talk a lot about the application and use cases, for example, in this case for micro markets and what uh, our industrial computing solutions are helping drive. Love it. Again, Chris, Dustin, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Always a pleasure chatting with you all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of the Market Scale Food and Beverage Podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries. And there you can subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from a variety of different industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>